Now time to go to our parenting slot today and with us paediatric dietitian Jenny Douglas who hopefully will have lots of tips on how to nourish infants and young children. Jenny runs her own private practice, Jumpstart Nutrition in Dunedin, specialising in infant feeding, food allergies and intolerance, also fussy eating and gut health. She's contributed to Nadia Lim's new book, Yum, which focuses on recipes and nutrition for the whole family. Kia ora, Jenny. Thank you for coming on Nine to Noon. Thank you very much for having me on. Oh, well, this is a difficult, t- or it can be a difficult time in many parents' lives when you're doing that transition from from milk to introducing other foods. Um, I might start, actually, with something that people might remember. It's been in the news recently, uh, that maybe introducing vegetables rather than fruit uh, is a good idea for young children. What's your take on that? Yeah, I, th- I think um, it's useful to remember um, what a child is used to when they're first born, and, and that's quite a sweet flavour. Uh, so um, not many people, but some people have tried their breast milk, and actually if you try it, it tastes really sweet. So a sweet tooth is already developed in a baby, and so part of introducing solids is actually introducing other flavours, such as savoury, um, sour, bitter flavors and some of those are what we have within vegetables so introducing vegetables first um, can be a really good way of introducing those savory and bitter flavors so uh, that research um, was up in Auckland and it was looking at introducing um, vegetables as first foods for around four weeks Um, and we certainly would uh, is useful to think about introducing vegetables but also we do need to think about introducing iron foods so that's meat um, fish chicken uh, lentils and um, other iron fortified cereals as well but um, I think it is really useful to have a think about introducing uh, non-sweet foods because your child already has that sweet tooth um, already developed. What is the best sort of way to approach this, what kinds of veggies are good to start with? Yeah, so it really depends on what type of feeding approach you'd like to take with introducing solids. So around about that six month mark, um, people choose often two different modes of feeding. So that might be um, your traditional approach of doing puree puree vegetables, or it might be um, a more baby-led approach, which is um, baby-led weaning, which is we use handheld um, foods that are soft enough that you can squish them between your thumb and forefinger. Uh, so the types of vegetables that are useful to start with are often those um, starchy veg, you know, your kind of sweet potato, um, carrots, Uh, but we also want to think about introducing those bitter flavours. So that might be broccoli, spinach, um, and then you'd um, blend that down um, to a puree or um, hand-held broccoli. Uh, So those would be the, um, I mean, there's a good variety of um, veggies that you can introduce when they're first starting. Because this is about not just the taste, but I suppose also the, the texture of foods, and that's really crucial as well. 
Yeah, so we do want to introduce uh, finger foods and texture foods early. Uh, it also is an important part of speech development. So if we can get a baby um, chewing foods well, then they're using those uh, muscles in their mouth that are really important for speech later on. Uh, so we do want to make sure that they're at least on kind of chopped up family foods by that 10 to 12 month age, um, because that means that um, they're certainly developing those chewing and biting skills. Now you mentioned six months uh, is the point to start considering this. What kind of bell curve are you looking at for starting weaning children because I guess some will come and be ready for that a little bit earlier whereas others it might be sometime after six months. Yeah, definitely. So uh, what the recommendations in New Zealand is around six months when your baby is developmentally ready. So we don't want to introduce before four months, and that's because the gut is too immature to cope with solids at that time. Um, but from kind of that four-month mark onwards, you're looking for the developmental signs, and that would be that they're able to sit with less support, that they have good head control, that they're... Um, grabbing foods and bringing them to their mouth, that they have an interest in food um, and that they're showing some signs of kind of chewing and biting and not pushing out all the food. Uh, so yes, it's it's very variable. As with everything with babies, they all develop at different rates. And so it's really important just to listen to what your baby uh, baby's development is. Um, we ideally want to introduce solids uh, probably by that seven month mark, just because um, the iron stores that have been laid in pregnancy um, are starting to become uh, less present in their body by around that six-month mark, and they're unable to meet their iron requirements uh, from breast milk or formula alone. And so by seven months, we probably do need to be thinking about uh, introducing those iron foods. And if they're not developmentally quite there, then we would probably, um, probably have a GP checkup, um, but also just see um, whether probably they'd be choosing more of a puree approach rather than baby led weaning if they don't have that kind of good um, body development. Yeah, it's it certainly it can be a, a tricky thing to get right. Uh, a few people getting in touch with us this morning here at nine to noon. One from uh, in from Mahana this morning saying, "Can you please ask your guest if she has any tips for helping a stubborn two-year-old? This is a wee bit older, getting a two-year-old to eat fruit and veggies because um, this is the thing that often they can be quite resistant. So, what are good ways? Are we looking at?" dried fruit is that good for a two-year-old or or different sorts of textures and flavors yeah so two, two years is an important thing to remember that at two years of age we actually have a normal developmental fussy eating stage and that's because uh, your little baby from um, you know the early years with, that used to eat everything has become more particular about what foods they'll accept and that's actually a good survival technique because we don't really want our toddlers um, going around and eating everything in the garden and so they become neophobic or fear of new things and that includes um, fruits and vegetables and they often prefer those kind of safe um, what they consider safe foods, which is often the beige ones, which is the crackers and the and the toast and things like that. Um, so 
one one thing to remember is if if possible putting in that groundwork in the first year of life to introduce as many different flavors and textures um, as you can because the fussy eating stage at two years is certainly less um, but obviously when you've already got a two-year-old and they're already challenged um, uh, a bit of a challenge the thing at the moment would be around one thinking about why they're fussy eating is it just because they are just following that normal developmental stage or are they um uh have they had previous reflux in their past life are they a bit constipated um do they have a good chair um set up are they felt feel like they're well supported at the table so often what we find is two-year-olds don't want to sit in high chairs anymore and they move into an adult seat um, and actually it's a really um not very good positioning for them to be able to focus on foods uh and in that two years of age the key is exposure 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 so just regularly giving um, that fruit and vegetables in lots of different ways. So um, yes, you could try dried fruits, but ultimately we want to maybe try um, fruit cut up. It might be fruit in things. It might be vegetables um, in dips, or it might be vegetables grated into um, kind of mince dishes and things like that. So you probably want to expose them to lots of different ways of having that food. Um, and doing it in a really relaxed way. So there's no pressure to eat it. Um, remember that as a parent, your responsibility is to offer them the opportunity to eat. It's not your responsibility to make them eat it. Um, you just need to offer it and in, and in a relaxed way. And I usually say, you know, on a plate, think about putting one or two new foods. So that might be your veggies that they're not so keen on alongside one or two familiar foods. So kind of brings them to the table. It, it means that they're relaxed coming to to your dinner um, but it's likely that they're just going to have that exposure and the key is just keep it relaxed and keep it going. I hope that answers your question Mahana lots of good advice there because certainly it's you don't always think about things like the chair set up or um, you know making sure that that dinner times don't become a battleground but it's it's so important to get that kind of thing coming through. Uh, another person getting in touch again about um, that sort of two-year-old toddler kind of age saying, is refusing to eat certain foods a way of controlling the parents? <laughs> uh, mm, that's, that's a good one. Um, I, I would say... Yes, part of that is that they're starting to have some control around their life. And one of the things they can control is food intake. However, we can work with that. So, um, yeah, it's really exciting when you're two because there's some things that you're able to verbalize what you want, which is really kind of revolutionary for a toddler because before now they haven't had the communication to tell you exactly what they want. But you can work with this. So, you know, if you want your child to have a piece of fruit, then instead of saying, would you like a piece of fruit, which the answer is probably going to be no, um, you might say, would you like a banana or an apple? So there Therefore, you're allowing that autonomy that they want, which is that they want to have that feeling of control. But actually, you're you're deciding, hey, I want you to eat some fruit. Um, but you're you're helping them with that. So you can kind of work with that. Um, they're not they're not trying to be. Uh, and I think it's just remembering that they're also a little bit worried about new things, um, and so they do need that exposure to build confidence. And how I like to explain it is to parents is that there's those kids 
in the playground who literally throw themselves off the slide or um, something and they just don't even think about what they're doing or whether they analyze risk. And then you've got the other kids who kind of sit back and watch the kids on the slide and kind of go, oh, I don't know, mm. do I want to do it? Maybe I do. And they slowly go up there and then they, they look again and then they slowly get down that slide. Children are pretty similar with food. So some kids are really in there and just trying everything and other kids are just a little bit more sit back, observe, kind of want to be exposed to the food, need to build their confidence in the food before they're willing to kind of um, throw themselves in there and eat everything. Mm. Now, you mentioned iron a little bit earlier on in our conversation. And this is this is a biggie, isn't it, this one? How do you make sure that little ones are getting enough of that nutrient? Yeah, so um, it is quite hard to, um, and it is challenging to meet iron requirements. Uh, so if we put it into perspective, um, an eight-month-old infant is likely, it needs about eight milligrams of iron, which is actually as much or a little bit more than their dad. Um, so how how we need to think about introducing iron is think about those iron foods. So that's meat, fish, chicken, iron-fortified cereals. Um, but we also need to think about the texture in which they're willing to accept it. So things like mince dishes and slow cooker meals, um, slow cooker meats are often more acceptable um, because they're just a bit easier to eat. Um, but I, I recommend kind of aiming for offering iron at um, at least a couple of meals uh, in the day um, and also thinking about easy ways of um, or, or, or uh, ideas of introducing iron fortified cereals. So I often recommend, especially for families who might be choosing a vegan or vegetarian diet, um, and putting in iron fortified cereals into baking. So um, put them into um, or into hummus or things like that, just to kind of boost the, the nutrition in the foods. Um, so it doesn't always have to be meat, um, but it's just thinking about offering those iron foods at, at kind of those main meal times. On vegan and vegetarian diets, if we can just touch briefly on that, um, is this a tricky one to make sure that all the vitamins and nutrients are included in the diet? Yes, um, it is quite a challenge, um, but it's not impossible. So it does require some careful planning to make sure that, yes, there's iron, but also there's other key nutrients, especially in a vegan diet that we can miss out on, which is B12. Um, and often that usually needs supplementation. Um, Omega-3 can be difficult to um fully meet, but we can do that um, by making sure um, that either we use supplementation or um, that we're adding in um, nuts and seeds and, and other foods that can convert into omega-3. Uh, and it's just um, a bit of bit of, bit of planning. Usually for a vegan or vegetarian diet, we usually do need to offer iron foods at pretty much all three of the meals um, to try and bridge that gap. Um, and yeah, just it requires a bit more extra planning but it's not impossible certainly vegetarian diets a little bit more flexible because we've got eggs um in there and dairy foods um and so a, a lot of it um in terms of calcium and iron is a little bit easier uh but there's there's plenty of kind of um 
good uh, fortified foods out there these days. So uh, there's alternative meats that have iron, B12, um, and some of those other nutrients added. We also have um, fortified alternative milks, um, which have extra calcium, mm. vitamin D, vitamin B12, um, et cetera, added into them. So some of those what we call um, uh, kind of functional foods can be really useful for bridging those nutrition gaps. What about allergies, which I don't know whether they are becoming more common, but it does sort of seem like there's an awful lot of them about at the moment. Um, How to approach introducing things like nuts, things like, I suppose, eggs and stuff as well, that may be allergens, especially if these are already allergies within the family? Yep. Uh, So allergies are increasing in this generation. So 10% of under one-year-olds have uh, a diagnosed food allergy. Uh, So the types of foods that we commonly see allergy are milk, soy, egg, wheat, fish, nuts, um, sesame and seafood. But although you can ultimately be allergic to any food, and we certainly are seeing slight increase of kiwi fruit and coconut allergy in New Zealand. Um, So ways to reduce the risk of allergy is to actually introduce these foods early and so we want that to do that from six months and before 12 months and this also includes those who are high risk so um, children who have parents or siblings with an allergy we still want to introduce these um, allergen foods early Um, and once they're introduced we kind of want to keep them as regular exposure so once or twice a week um, to keep that regular uh, yeah the regular intake can help with um, maintained tolerance uh, and, and I guess the things that we can do in terms of prevention is make sure if you can to breastfeed and to breastfeed while introducing those allergen foods um, we also know that in the developed world we have an increase um, in allergies and, and part of that is um, around um, not being able to be exposed to the natural world so we know that diversity in terms of the natural environment actually affects um, our gut microbe which I find fascinating um, but uh, it also affects uh, or increases our risk of allergy um, not using antibiotics if possible when well, obviously we need them for a bacterial infection but um, we don't want to overuse um, overuse antibiotics or kind of um, antibacterial cleaning sprays and things like that mm. so um, yeah there's a few few things in terms of prevention that we can do to try and reduce that risk certainly is fascinating just one last one for now uh jenny is what about chocolate what about ice cream what about cake what about biscuits so good i know so why would we not give them to our toddlers (laughs) yeah and i and i think um It's being aware of how we approach this. So um, we ideally don't want uh, high sugar foods, certainly in the first year of life. So we don't want to introduce those kind of free sugars. Um, And we do need to be careful with too much of it in those toddler years because it does affect um, kind of tooth tooth decay and it was also developing a sweet tooth. However, um, I think it's really important to not demonize food. So when we kind of tell people it's bad to eat chocolate, um, you know, the, the, the thought process is, is I'm, am I bad for eating chocolate? So, um, 
yes, I think you can um, offer these foods occasionally to your children and to keep them pretty relaxed. So um, don't make them a reward. So, um, you know, be really careful with um, if you eat your vegetables, you get chocolate. You've already made chocolate sound way better than vegetables. Um, and so it's just kind of saying, hey, look, tonight we've got dessert um, and, you, and you don't kind of give that ultimatum of if you eat this, you get that. Um, it's more, hey, look, tonight we've got ice cream for, di for dessert um, and it's kind of uh, a guaranteed, doesn't really matter too much about what they've eaten um, for their meal because we're trying to keep food mm. as food, not um, a way of kind of bribery or that um, foods have um, a higher ranking than others. Um, it's mm. yeah, just being careful with, with how, we, how we talk about it. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Jenny Douglas there, paediatric dietitian from Jumpstart Nutrition in Dunedin and uh, kia ora also for your kōrero on that.